Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello and welcome to Series 6, Episode 7 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that whenever you're listening to this, you're having a good week or day or maybe even just a good hour. I have a very croaky voice today. I've got that cold that's going round, that cold that's not COVID that's going round. So I sound a little bit like I'm doing a late night radio drive-in show. Which? Drive-in show? Call-in show. A late drive show. You know what I mean. One of those shows that happen late at night. Anyway, let's carry on. Let's carry on with what we're already here for. We're here for an episode of Out. I've got a fantastic guest today. It's Heather Peace, who you'll definitely be aware of. She's currently in EastEnders, but she's also been in Lip Service and London's Burning and loads of other TV. And she's brilliant. And I was very excited to talk to her. We recorded in a little studio in Brighton, because that's where we both live, which is very exciting to wander down to a little studio and uh, make friends with the technician. And we had a really brilliant chat and I'm really excited to share that with you. But before that, I've got a couple of emails to share. Two quite long ones this week, but I thought they were both brilliant and worth sharing. So let's have a listen. Hi Susie, I hope you're well and enjoying life in your new house. I love hearing all your updates and latest news on your move moves. At least you're not having to broadcast from under a duvet this week. I'm not actually. Thanks for saying that. I'm in my little office. I'm in my little office space, which is very exciting. I write this to you as a very close ally and you feel like my friend now, which I've heard many people say to you now. And after listening to all of your out and like-minded friends podcasts, I even got my husband and my closest gay best friends to listen. Myself and my husband came to see you in Islington in the summer and are coming to see you next year at the Soho Theatre. We can't wait. Oh, thanks so much. Always stick around and say hi. You know how much I love meeting the listeners of our and like-minded friends. Anyway, enough of the intros. Every week I mean to write to you following listening to one of the episodes of Out or Like-Minded Friends. You hiring a guy to put together your IKEA furniture got me to do it. I also hired someone to do this. Life is far too short and I laughed out loud when Tom was incredulous at this. It's true. I admitted it on Like-Minded Friends. I'm so rubbish at putting furniture together. And it really upsets me because I feel like as a lesbian who does have a, a tool bag, I should be able to do this, but I'm just absolutely shit at it. However, this week you've prompted me to write while I'm listening to your out episode with Darren Styles. I'm actually just in the middle of hearing your correspondence part and I simply had to take my headphones out, lift up my laptop lid and write to you. And why have I done this? For weeks now, I've wanted to write in about difference and about people being excluded who have some type of neurodiverse challenge. My daughter was diagnosed with ADHD and OCD last year and now recently with ASD, autism. 
She's felt very different for a long time. Friends, family and school people have struggled to understand and include someone who is very different to them. This is not the same as having to do with one's sexuality, but it is relevant in finding a place in society and work, hence why I thought it would be relevant to you in your podcast. You just spoke about thinking you might have ADHD as well as your dyslexia. Well, get this. I took one of my daughter's ADHD tablets today to try one out, as I believe I might have ADHD after understanding a little more about it and how it shows up in her. I've been thinking about it for a while and during this busy period and the lead up to Christmas, I was starting to feel pressured and overwhelmed. Normally, I will think about doing something for weeks before I finally take action. But no, today I just sat down and got straight on with writing this message to you. And maybe I could have gotten a lot more work done without fannying around like I normally do. Maybe I'll even get around to booking the dentist tomorrow if I take another tablet. Lol. So there we go. And now I'm going to try and get a diagnosis at age 55. I wanted to share this with you and your listeners and also to let you know how much joy and understanding you bring to people's lives. You're absolutely doing stellar work for your community and I think you're amazing. I understand so much more now about the different parts of the community and the challenges that people have been through and continue to go through. I've especially loved the episodes with Jordan Gray, Self Esteem, Steph McGovern and Adam Kay, people I hadn't heard of. And I haven't stopped listening to Self Esteem's new album since. And of course, some of the old faves too, like Duncan James, Scott Mills, Got Gwan, and of course, Tom Allen. We all shed a tear. Also, to let you know, I actually found your podcast by listening to Alan Carr's Life's a Beach, and it suggested that I listen to you. So thank you to the Spotify algorithm for opening up new things. Anyway, enough of me. Thanks again for all of your work and your fab humour. There's always a laugh to be had around you, in my opinion. And I would have stood up on the train after Pride in Brighton, after what those horrible blokes did to you. Okay, I'm off to continue listening to this week's episode. Take care. And by a slim chance, if you read this out, I'm happy for you to share my name, Rachel. Rachel, thank you so much for getting in touch. The first thing I'm going to say, in case any doctors are listening, I don't recommend that people take other people's tablets just before I get anyone complaining to me. But I am so pleased that you are finding a sense of community through this podcast, even though you might not fit in Obviously, you're an ally, so you're part of the community. But I think you're absolutely right. When we're talking about people finding their place, I think anything that comes under other, and I use that word in a very positive sense, to be clear, I've always considered myself to be other, and I quite like other. But I think you're absolutely right. And I think the more that we can find those those links across society, where we are different, but we, we have so many similarities, and by being slightly outside of I don't know whatever the other opposite is. I don't really want to say norm, but you know what I mean. Maybe that's a great way that that we should all think about things. Um, I hope that your daughter's doing okay. That sounds like a lot to deal with for a young person. And um, I'm sending you and her lots of love. I mean, she sounds like she's got a bloody brilliant mum. So thank God she's got you. And thank you so much for getting in touch. And stick around after the show when you come to the Soho show. Um, I'd love to say hi. Okay. Let's have another one. Susie, hello. Firstly, thank you, thank you, thank you. Out is an incredible podcast and has helped me so much over the past year. You've created something beautiful and I hope you know it. I've learned so much, particularly from non-binary and trans guests and listeners that have related so much in so many stories from all across the LGBTQIA plus community. The diversity of your podcast is so important because it feels like a space where people are free to share their own full truth, without necessarily having to represent everyone who shares a letter with them. 
sorry in advance what I know will end up being a massive letter. I feel a little starstruck to be writing in and really can't wrap my head around the fact that anyone might read this. I'm reading it right now. Whilst at the same time, I feel like I know you. I guess we've been having very interesting conversations for months. I've just kept my mouth shut until now. Well, here we are. Congratulations on your new home, Brighton. Sounds fantastic. And I wish you all the best for your life there. I first came across out in the summer of 2019, and I'm sad to say I didn't listen at the time. I was 22, and I'd never been in a relationship, except for a very short thing when I was 16. I'd never had sex, and I wasn't really bothered about that. And I was, I assumed, straight. I'd probably know by now, right? If I wasn't? I'd gone on a few different dates with one guy at uni and bailed as soon as the conversation ran out. I thought I was just shy or awkward and that I'd meet someone eventually, whilst also beginning to suspect there might be something more going on than I was letting on. And so, out intrigued me. I would bring it up on Spotify, hover over the play, huh, and then close it. I knew in my head there was no harm to listen, but I think I was unsure. Someone might see or read something into it, and I wasn't sure how I felt. I just didn't know. I was recently bereaved and I suspect that I knew that out was the key to a box I wasn't ready to open. My childhood friend had died suddenly at 24. Grief is a bit too much to get into here, but part of it for me was an overwhelming awareness of my own mortality. Until then, I hadn't been particularly worried about my lack of a partner or sexuality. I assumed I had a lifetime to figure it all out, to find someone, to fall in love, to have kids, to live the life I'd been promised by society and culture and films and the slightly cringy young adult novels I'd lapped up as a teenage bookworm. We all get a lifetime, but you never know how long that lifetime might be. Some of us get lucky. For some of us, one day is a real place that we'll visit. Some of us don't. I grew worried that I wasn't really living. I was just waiting passively while life happened around me. Not true in most areas, but definitely true regarding relationships. One of the things that scared me most was that I might die before I had the chance to fall in love. I had love already in my life, good friends, amazing family, but I also wanted to experience the love of a partner and one day maybe how it felt to love as a parent. All the different kinds of love. I'm a greedy little love goblin. (laughs) I always felt that I would find it hard to trust someone in that way that it would take me a long time, require them making all the first moves, even then the process would require so much from me. I'd only been able to do it once. I was waiting for somebody to sweep me off my feet like a character in a novel and that we would live happily ever after. Bizarrely, that's exactly what happened. Well, at least the sweeping part. I met a guy at the start of March 2020, immediately before the pandemic. He made a grand romantic gesture and told me that he liked me. I said yes in my head to everything that followed. Say yes, give it a shot. See where this goes. Be brave. You might die tomorrow. Because this was in the midst of a pandemic and giving it a shot ended up meaning as soon as travel restrictions eased, we moved in together immediately into a tiny caravan away from all my family and friends. Now, seeing that I'm writing, it could have gone so much worse than it did. But even so, it was quite an intense experience. It's not one that I regret because I learned a lot about myself. But I also realised very quickly that this was still not it. The first time we kissed, I cried. I was still somehow missing that mystical, invisible force that dragged people together. I was open from the beginning that I had previously thought in passing that I might be asexual, but still wanted to give things a shot. He was very understanding and had been in relationships with queer people before, so we took things slow. If that's not a stupid thing to say when you've gone from single to sharing a bed and a home and a life with someone overnight. I stayed in that relationship until the end, which was just over a year and a half later. Not having sex became an issue, so I had sex, 
which sounds a lot simpler written down than it does in reality. I told myself that I was in love despite knowing that I was still feeling things differently from how other people described that experience. I felt like this might be as close as I could ever get, so I continued to say yes in my head, past the point of where, if I had been able to be honest with myself, I would have said no. I felt like an alien, lacking in some fundamental human quality that everybody else had. I felt like there was something broken about me. The parts of the relationship were good enough to cling on to, perhaps because they were more than I had before. I became desperate not to lose him, and in all honesty, desperate to be loved. I struggled with the feeling that I wasn't being myself somehow, or like I was lying. After a while, his feelings changed. I'd known that was a possibility. Heartbreak, understandably, gets a lot of airtime in our culture. But it was still a shock to the alien, goblin, small woodland creature living in my head, trying to figure out how humans work. They'd done everything they were supposed to do, and yet here I was. Angry, hurt, hollowed out, like I'd stretched myself out of shape to fit around somebody else's needs. I tried very, very hard to be straight. I'm not. I don't know exactly who I am. Don't expect to ever, to be honest. But I suspect at the moment, age 26, I'm a hopelessly romantic, queer, asexual woman. I also have a pretty good feeling that, even though I'm near the start of this journey, I have a full and complicated human sexuality that just doesn't happen to be orientated around anyone else. Listening to Out has really helped me understand and accept this about myself and I can't thank you enough and all your guests and the listeners. I've related to so many stories on the podcast but perhaps unexpectedly for me, especially to those about gay women and lesbians, maybe even more so than to asexual and aromantic listeners, even though that representation and Jasmine's episode meant so much to me. I think this is because I've shared the experience and the internalised phobia. For a lot of your guests, that's internalised homophobia, but for me, I guess you could call it internalised acephobia. I didn't try so hard to be straight because I was afraid I might be gay. I was afraid I might be something else entirely. This feels bad to admit, but there were plenty of times I thought, I hoped, maybe I'm just gay. I know there's no just about it, and I don't want to compare experiences. I don't believe that being gay would be easier. I just think because, thanks to amazing progress that's been won, I already knew that it was possible to be gay and happy and in love. Most of my friends are gay or bi, shock. I knew that you could be gay and fall in love and maybe one day, with a lot of effort, have a child. But being asexual and wanting a romantic relationship felt like a sentence to a loveless life with no possibility of family. The same fear that many of your guests or their parents have talked about time and time again. Now, though, I have to hope that one day I might meet someone who I can be myself with and build a life with who won't mind that I'm not sexually attracted to them. I suspect that person won't be a man, but who knows? The space you've created and worked so hard to make inclusive has given me somewhere to realise that even if I don't find that mythical person, my life won't be any less full because of it. By giving a platform to so many different voices under the queer umbrella in the same shared space, you've allowed me to piece together something which might have been much harder to do if those stories were cordoned off from each other. Listening to experiences of gay women, I might not fully see myself respected. No passionate crushes here or teenage sexual turmoil to go through, although definitely some intense female friendship and comfy shoes. (laughs) Equally, it's hard to find stories from the asexual experience, which exists mostly on forums. Whilst I'm sure the internet forums can be incredible and probably do host positive stories, they're not a space I naturally feel comfortable or myself. They feel like a corner of the internet where it's easy to drown if you're not in a good place to start with. 
Despite the joy in community, I'm sure exists, I was drawn to two narratives. People who, like a few of the listeners who've contributed to Out, didn't want romantic relationships and were perfectly content with that. Amazing, valid, brilliant to be exposed to, but felt very far from my experiences. Or those who were trying desperately, as I had been, to make a relationship work with someone of a differing sexuality, which is very difficult. On out, hearing the experiences of gay and asexual women in the same space allowed me to build a mirror for myself from different fragments, to seeing myself as not broken or an alien, just human. I could join the dots between different experiences, whether that was my internalised fear and the damage it was doing, or the knowledge that being single is genuinely a complete and valid way to live, and it doesn't have to come at the cost of your happiness, self-worth or love. You've allowed me to imagine a future where I might end up with somebody but maybe I don't. And either way, I could be happy. You've also helped me understand that wanting to be a parent one day doesn't have to be dictated by my sexuality and that it's still possible as a single person with incredible family and friends. Basically, my queerness might look different from other people's, but that doesn't mean it isn't real or that I can't still find joy and live a full life of love. Thank you for holding all my mirrors. Love, Josie. If you read this out and it's not too long, you're welcome to use my name. Well, Josie, what a lovely email to receive. Um, I've got someone lined up for the next series uh, who is also asexual. As you can imagine, I try and record quite a few in advance when I'm not too busy. But there's someone that was suggested to me a little while ago, so I have got in touch with them. So many of the stories in our society are all about falling in love and meeting that special person. And I think you're totally right. If that's not what feels right for you, that doesn't mean that your life is any less. It doesn't mean that, you know, that you're missing out on anything if it's something that you're not seeking. And you're absolutely right. Everyone can become a parent somehow this day. Whether you're looking at IVF, IUI, surrogacy, adoption, there are so many ways to become a parent. And that's definitely something that you can hope for and look forward to in your future. I'm so pleased that this podcast has been... Uh, something that you felt connected to and something that you've enjoyed and that you know when I receive emails like that it reminds me that the hours I spend making it are really really worthwhile and I really appreciate you getting in touch please to email me the email is hello at com. as ever I'm always keen to hear from you but let's go to today's conversation with the brilliant Heather Peace Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
Heather Pease is an English actress and musician. You will know her from London's Burning, Waterloo Road, Lip Service, This England, and most recently, she joined the cast of EastEnders, one of Britain's most loved soaps. My mum's absolute favourite, in fact, so she's very excited that I'm talking to Heather today. An impressive musician as well, with a brilliant voice, she has toured extensively with her music and released several albums. Heather is also a big voice in our community. She is patron of Manchester Pride and works with many charities to promote LGBTQ UIA plus equality, including Stonewall, Diversity Role Models and AKT. On a personal note, when I first met Heather nearly 10 years ago, we did a mini tour of music and comedy with Jen Brister and Zoe Lyons. And just being around someone who was clearly so comfortable in their own skin and with their sexuality had a hugely positive impact on me. Acting, music, activism, a wife and three children under eight, I am amazed that she's managed to find time to come and talk to me today but thank you very much for coming in hello heather (laughs) hello mate how are you yeah i'm good are you very tired um today i am a little bit tired but i'm 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 juggling a few balls at the moment and um ellie woke me up at three o'clock i think i was just telling you on the way in uh she's a last minute standing to go to belgium and back in a day because uh, she's a school the, teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. She's not buying chocolates. <laughs> uh, good I, chocolates. I must go. Good I chocolates. must go. Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, she's 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 got up at three o'clock. Uh, they set off on a coach at three thirty. I think I last messaged her at about eight, and she did say she was in hell. She'd taken a pillow. Uh, to have a little sleep on the coach and I think she found herself by the rowdiest students so I don't know whether she's made it to Belgium yet and she's not back till 10.30 tonight so yeah wow. she sort of, I sort of woke up with her and then um, took me a little while to get back off and then the kids all get in with me from a, any any time from about half five so <laughs> I can get them back off to sleep now with a little snuggle um, so that's all right but yeah how do you juggle having a job like EastEnders because I've got I've got friends that have done soaps not for as long as you though not not a stint as long as because you were just saying before you've been in it for about fourteen months now mm-hmm. how do you juggle that with home life well you know wives are amazing aren't yeah, they yeah I mean I, yeah I got a great one I love, love having a wife <laughs> highly recommend a wife even to the gay men listening get a wife God they're good they are good and we make a really good team mm. and so essentially I get a schedule on the Thursday before the next week of right. the days I'm in. Okay, from EastEnders, not from Ellie. Not from, not from <laughs> yeah, from Ellie. No, and Ellie. Um, and we sit down on the couch and we, we plan the week. So we've got um, wraparound care in place. So all yep. the kids are at school, so we've got after-school clubs and we've got breakfast clubs. If I'm off, they don't go to yep. some of those clubs and the breakfast club yep. and, and, and have a shorter day. If I'm in, then Ellie has a really, really busy week in the sense of dropping them at half seven, going and doing a full day at work and picking them up so but the thing about the EastEnders is that you pass the baton quite a lot your story pops up and you're full on and then it gets a little bit quieter and so then I I take the slack from Ellie and she works late um you know we, we, we basically just juggle it between us um and we are a pretty awesome team so yeah yeah that's impressive and I was I only ever interview people that I like really want to chat to and, and, and I want to do the research on. And so I was saying she was, we were coming down the stairs into the studio. I said, oh, I've been researching you this week. And you went, oh, God. <laughs> but it's pretty impressive when you like, I went to drama school and I was one of those actresses that didn't work. And um, it's you've been in the industry for for a long time, a long time working now, yeah 26 years for but a it long has, time yeah but there's been years where it's fallow um, right 
great friend of mine who wrote uh, Waking the Dead, uh, Barbara Matchin, said um, within this industry, your career comes in waves. Right. And when a wave comes, ride that wave until it sort of drops off again. And so the reality for me is there have been like uh, periods of a couple of years of no acting. And it's it's funny, you pop out of casting directors minds or whoever's you know doing the productions you, you your yesterday's news as it were and they've forgotten about you and it's always that way that once you're working again everybody wants you to work yeah. with them again um so it's about finding a way to survive through those fallow periods um you know and and much more so now that I've got a family it, yes. it kind of didn't matter when it was me on my own and there was a period in my life where I sent out a text to all of the friends that I knew had proper jobs and said, can I clean for you? Can I do any DIY for you? Can I come and paint your flat? (laughs) There has been those periods. I I don't ever want to get back to that point because I've got children and a family to support. But um, yeah, I just think I've always been quite industrious. Um, Also, my hobby is my job, so I don't mind doing it. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any other hobbies. <laughs> so yeah. this morning, just before I've come to you, I've got this week off and I've just been on my on my music. I've just finished writing a song and I was writing on Monday with Shelley Poole um, and a guy called Jeff Frenzel who like played piano for Sinatra. Like, so oh, wow. That, that That's sort of cool. thing, this, the job at the moment is giving me, when I get these quieter times, is giving me the ability to feed that other addiction of mine, which yeah. is the music. Um, That's yeah. great. Yeah, because like, you popped up in this England, I did, yeah. which I loved. It was hardcore, wasn't it? Really hardcore. I mean, For people that don't know, it's a Sky series. Yeah, it's Sky, Sky, and it's yeah. about the first few months of the coronavirus. Lockdown, yeah. But at number 10, so with Boris and Carrie, and you and played Dominic Cummings' I wife. I did. Mary, yeah, Mary Wakefield, who's actually the editor of The Spectator. Yes, so yeah, a woman in herself as well, yeah, sure, was, sure. Absolutely. Um, it was tricky, though, because obviously I have my political opinions yeah. on, on that whole period of time, but insofar as I watched quite a few videos of Mary Wakefield and um, doing interviews for The Spectator um, and, and my role within the show ultimately is just it, not just but is 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 a mother mm-hmm. so I didn't really feel that I could put any spin on that that wouldn't yeah. be okay so I just kind of did a posh accent and hopefully <laughs> took a bit from the videos that I watched and played her as a mother without any kind of yeah. How would she be as a mother? Because I didn't think that that was fair. Because you never saw her at work. Yeah. You never saw her being political or whatever. So it was it was quite tricky, actually, to think, what am I going to do with this? Is it the first time you've played a real person? Like, not Yo a real... God, yeah. like a, do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like a person that yeah, exists in the world I've done historical now. stuff. I've done historical stuff in theatre, like Moll Flanders. Was that a real person or was that, was that a book? God, that shows how much my I research think... I did. <laughs> I was very young. Sure, sure, um, sure. No, I don't, I don't. Yeah, it's the first time. It's the first time. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't really like it actually. No. Oh, okay, that's no. interesting. Have you been watching The Crown? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the latest series? I I really prefer the Claire Foy series mainly yeah. because I like how historic. I like that, and I feel like the first series was very exciting because you're like, oh, we're in Buckingham Palace. I wonder yeah. what that would look like. And oh, she I wonder was, what she was amazing. And she was amazing she? in it, and I loved. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, who plays her sister, is yes. that her name? Yeah, yeah and uh, who plays Margaret. And I, yeah, so there was, I thought, I'm enjoying it, but I prefer it when it's further back I know, in but history. I do have to say that the actress who plays Diana 
it's quite when we're talking about playing real people yeah. initially I thought I felt like it was it felt slightly caricatured at the beginning the demureness and the yeah. kind of and the looking down this, and looking yeah. up but as it's gone on I think I don't know what episode we're on now it's quite phenomenal yeah she's really got her yeah <laughs> it's really yeah 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 it's fascinating it's fascinating. But, but yeah, the, the pressure of that is quite is quite yeah, especially tricky. I mean, playing I mean, he someone. Boris Johnson. Um, yeah, Kenneth Branagh as Boris. Yeah, I think within the first ten minutes, you sort of you, at first you're going, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh as Boris yeah. Johnson, and then after ten minutes, you kind of forget. Yeah, and I think this England was. Michael Winterbottom directed it. I mean, really, he was other than Kenneth was kind of the star of the show, yeah. as it were. And he wanted to put together a docu, almost like a docudrama. So unlike The Crown, mm. which some could say is salacious. or Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, definitely a dramatisation. Yeah. He, he wanted to base it purely on facts, which in some realms might mean that maybe Boris comes off looking better than he actually was. I don't know. But I, I, mm. I did respect the fact that Michael took that and... Yeah. Just, just wanted to present it as a factual... I wonder if he quotes Shakespeare as much because fucking how he was annoying. It's <laughs> like, oh, I know, God, he's Aus- tedious. Like, literally, us carries in bed and stuff. Yeah. It's just like, how did you? How did you go there? Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Anyway, enough of Boris Johnson. Yeah. Um, quite often we with this podcast, we sort of go chronologically. Okay. Um, so you grew up in Bradford. I did, yeah. And you were very musical from quite a young age. Yeah, I played piano from seven and I was I was a cantor uh, in the church. Yeah. Uh, so like standing at the front of the pulpit. And that's a Catholic It's a Catholic church, thing. Yeah, yeah Catholic church, um, singing the hallelujahs and singing the psalms. So I'd, I'd learn them each week and, and, and sing. I mean, basically it was so it made mass entertaining. Yeah, um, yeah sure. <laughs> because I would sit. In, in the in the church and want to scream. We've talked about our self-diagnosed adult yeah, ADHD, yeah. but it, it it meant that every Sunday there was something to do. <laughs> yeah, be busy, be busy. <laughs> yeah, keep busy, exactly. So, so you were always sort of theatrical, for want of a better word. Yeah, I don't think I was. I wasn't precocious, and I wasn't. Um, I went to a council-run drama group um, called the Bradford Youth Players, and it, everybody was volunteers and. Um, so we were a real sort of motley group of kids, <laughs> really. <laughs> so it wasn't polished. I wasn't a kind mm. of polished kid. It was a bit rawer than that. Um, although when I did get to the point of auditioning for drama school, I was I was sort of told to lose all of that kind of... I came from musical theatre, really, as right. a kid. That's what you do as a kid. Absolutely, I yeah, me too. You know, yeah, 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 right, right. Oh, yeah, half a sixpence, and a gun, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh. Rogers and Hammerstein. Yeah, keep smiling, then they won't look at your feet. You yeah. know, oh, it? yeah. 100%. <laughs> I was never a dancer, so. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, 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 I was. I, that, I always just did it, and I, I could sing. And I, I probably think I haven't actually improved as a singer since I was about 13. And I do remember a sort of swirl around me of adults being like, oh my goodness. Um, mm. And my mum's got a recording somewhere. But um, yeah, I didn't actually really get any better from there on in, But <laughs> as a 13 year old, I think it was quite like, oh, okay. I think she can. She can do it. And yeah. so was it always sort of, did you know that you wanted to go into yeah. the industry for yeah. one of a better way? I just literally couldn't think of anything else. I couldn't wait to leave school. I couldn't wait to try out and get to drama school. And normally with drama school, you don't go till quite a bit after your A-levels. Yep. So like you'd have a bit of life yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. So there was one, I was the youngest in my year. 
there was only me and maybe two others in my year that um, had come straight from school. So I was super young and super green. My only regret is I never did that kind of traveling around the world thing. I just couldn't wait to get started. I just, you know, another year's delay on getting going was just not on my remit at all. That oh, that do you know what? That is exactly the same as me. I I remember getting um, prospectuses from drama schools from when I was about fifteen. Yeah, and like seeing like and looking at all those black and white pictures they put in of like someone playing Ophelia. Yeah, I just want to be there. I just want to be there, and I want to do. I used to get the stage newspaper. Oh yeah. So at the back they used to have open auditions for um, the chorus in a lot of the big musicals. Yeah, I think the moment my parents stopped doubting me was. the only day, I was quite a good girl at school, the only day I bunked off school, there was an open audition for Les Mis in Manchester. I'd never got a train from Bradford to Manchester on my own at, in my life. I think I was 13 or 14. Um, and I went and I sat in a room with a lot of grown-ups waiting to go in an audition <laughs> and walked out. They had the auditions on the palace stage. <gasps> And I walked out onto the palace stage with these, just remember these glaring spotlights in my face and a table in the che- in the uh, auditorium. Like a chorus with four, line. With four people sitting there. Yeah, like the real deal. And I sung a song. I can't remember what it was. And they just said, how old are you? <laughs> like, and 14, they're like, it was really good, but you need to probably come back in about four years' time. <laughs> and I phoned my mum from Manchester Piccadilly and told her where I was. And from that moment on, nobody questioned That's me. What you're do. The careers officer stopped giving me other options, you know. I love that. I love that. You said you were quite a good girl at school. Were you? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, good in the sense of I didn't bunk off. And yeah. I, didn't. I mean, I was cheeky as anything, but. And were you, did you have like a group of mates? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not friends with any of them now. I think, not fallen out, I, th- I just think that, it's really weird talking about this to you now, because I'm sort of processing it at the same time. I think that I was just so single-minded in what I wanted to do that sort of connection with friends who didn't know what they wanted to do was difficult maybe. Yeah. Because I didn't stay in touch with anyone. I did have a group of pals, but we mm. didn't stay in touch. I just went to drama school and then I came out. So then that's a whole nother mm. difference. Yeah. Um, so I've got friends from the drama group that I was yeah. in. And then from university. Yeah. And then, oh. from, and then from the gay scene. <laughs> yeah. But that's the, same, that's, the same, that's the same for me in that I didn't... If someone said something like, I don't like musical theatre, in my sort of 16-year-old brain, I'd be like, how could I possibly be friends with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how could I, if we can't talk about cabaret, then I don't think I can be friends with you. Like, yeah. it, I was so, um, so single-minded and so, and obsessed, totally obsessed I with was obsessed. what it was like to be, I remember going, my mum got me tickets to go and see Greece in the West End. And I must have been like 13. Yeah. And I wasn't very, I wasn't super popular at school. And uh, so me and mum went, me and mum went together and I, we went to the matinee and then mum went, do you want to go to stage door? And I didn't really know what stage door was, but I was like, yeah, okay. And we <laughs> saw all of the girls who were the pink ladies. Oh, wow. And they were, they were in uh, juicy couture tracksuits. Oh like yeah, they, they, they were head. so, they were expensive and cool. Yeah. And they yeah. all had their hair, they had scarves around their head to keep their hair and they had their makeup on because they had their evening show. And who knows what had happened, but they fell out the door laughing something had happened maybe something gone wrong on the show they were killing themselves laughing and i looked at them and thought that's your job that's magic yeah i would move heaven and earth 
to do that to as do a job, that. to be lucky enough to do that as a job. I still and, feel I still feel yeah. like that today. I yeah. literally not one bit of me is is tired of my work yeah. on on any level on the music or the acting. Like every time I get a job, every time people come to gigs, I'm I'm thankful. Yes, because yeah. I just can't believe I'm still doing it. Um, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about stand up. I feel like, and I've got mates that are comics that sort of. It, they sort of go off. Oh, I never do stand up again. I wouldn't care, or I don't really, you know, whatever. Or they get they do more and more telly, and then it's more about telly for them than about sort of, uh, you know, more about presenting, say, than like the craft. So what's of your writing thing? Is it like the, like the actual live shows? Live shows, I think. Yeah. I mean, I love doing telly, and I do bits and bobs, um, which is really nice. But there's something about the the immediacy of like a live crowd, <laughs> especially if it's a big crowd. If you yeah. go on stage, I did. The Royal Albert Hall earlier this year. Wow. Yeah. Um. Just like a set on the on a on a on a mixed bill show. Don't start for bringing it down. You did the Royal Albert Hall. Was, just leave it, it was, there, right? Yeah. And so that's like six thousand, and it was amazing. Was it? And I walked off stage and was like, I, like I was kind of tearful yeah. because it was just like, oh. I was yeah. right to keep doing stand up. I was right to not give up. I was right to carry yeah, on. Yeah, but all your drama, all your acting training and everything else yeah, is very obviously but it, it, but it yeah. does inform it does inform your yeah. set. Like I see it. Like yeah. you, absolutely. This very much isn't about me though. So let's get all back right, to okay. talking about you. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I can I mean I'm a stand up. I can talk about me endlessly. But um But you you mentioned coming out. And did you come out when you were 19? It was kind of a tricky one. I I was with a woman for the first time when I was 19 mm. but ultimately I didn't I didn't say those words until she left right and then you were sort of left with it all going and now I don't know what the hell to do so would I have been probably 21 I mean all my everybody in my year knew I was with this woman yeah. that was in my year um, so there was that sort of coming out in terms of everybody at Manchester Poly where yeah, I was at yeah. drama school knew um, but actually coming out to my parents and everything else was after <clears throat> after she left, which was came as quite a shock. I wasn't right. It, it came out of the blue, mm-hmm. and I was in my final year at drama school, and I started to have what what now I know is panic attacks. You think it's if if you've ever had one, like you, yeah, you think had, this yeah. must be a heart attack. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. and um, an actress friend of mine, Liz Hume Dawson. I always I always name drop her because. She sort of saved my life in a way. She, I didn't drive, and she just said, "We're just driving across the M62." She was from Bradford as well. We're going on the M62, and you're going home to tell your parents tonight because she saw what state I was in, and I, I was going out and getting drunk on a night, and then coming into rehearsals really hungover. I just didn't know what to do with myself, mm. and it was the final show of the whole three years, and yeah. unfairly, fifty percent of your degree was on this one show. Like it was insane. Like yeah. three years of work, and it all came down to this. And I was, I was single-handedly smashing it to bits. Um, so yeah, she drove me home, and I think I must have already told my brother. It's all a bit fuzzy. Yeah, because he was there, and then I came out to them and left again. Left my brother with it. <laughs> oh what? Like I've done this. Bye bye now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they were amazing though. You know, my mum said to me, um, I knew something was wrong because you've spent, every time I've phone, phoned you, you, you've spent 18 months talking about the weather. Huh? Do not, not talking about anything of any depth whatsoever. 
um, because obviously, like most of the depth that I had was that. Because <laughs> you mentioned that you were at mass as a child, did that? Did you, were you? Was it sort of a Catholic household that you grew mm-hmm. up in? Yeah. So oh, yeah. And so, did you go to church every week? Yeah, I was even going when I went to Manchester. I, I couldn't get it out of my system. Really? I, and so, I, how I, did that? It didn't. That was why I left. I mean, I, I, I. Um, it's different when you've got your community church in Bradford where you sung and you knew everyone mm-hmm. and you'd mum and dad would have a glass of wine after midnight mass. You know, that was on at Christmas and my brother was an altar boy and all of that. Uh, it was a huge part of my life. Catholic education, all girls school for the last, uh, from about 13 to 18. And we used to go to church before school. Like it wasn't just on a oh, Sunday. Wow. Like there'd be short services in mornings of, of school. It was so like I am going to say it is. It is like an indoctrination, really. I mean, it's not if because people out there believe, and I respect people's beliefs and religions. But for me, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um. So yeah, when when I came out, I'd, I'd started going to a church in Manchester, but obviously I didn't know anyone, so I'd just sit at the back. Yeah. And then I'd be I was sleeping with a woman, you know, and you're like. Uh, it wasn't sitting right and then after I came out I just I stopped going but Sundays were I I literally was at a loss because we'd do church and then we'd go to my grand grandparents for basically I didn't have a Sunday it was it was church and then my grandma's for Sunday dinner that was so I didn't know what to do there was this day at the weekend where you're like um, until I got a jazz residency. Really? <laughs> a Sunday afternoon jazz residency and it was the only thing that sort of filled a massive void in my life on a on a weekend. Yeah, it was weird. And when I realised I was gay, it was when I was, just before I got into drama school, I sort of decided in my head, I thought, you can't be, I can't be gay and be mm. an actress. Oh, yeah. I can't be out mm. because I won't work. Did you have any of that? Yeah, I was explicitly told. Really, at drama school? Mm, no, no, not at drama school. Um, on a on a production. <gasps> oh, not, actual work. Yeah, not to come out. Yeah, I must never talk about it in the press. I was told by someone at drama school by one of the teachers, "You should say you're bisexual because, at the very least, <laughs> they'll be able to believe that you're the man." <laughs> it's weird. I. Uh, how old would you have been when someone said... I can actually probably say now, the producer who said it to me actually ended up getting sacked anyway uh, for other uh, bigoted comments. Um, yeah, it was on Ultimate Force. And um, I arrived on my first day and there was only really two other women, um, two or three, who were the makeup artists. Most, it was, you know, I, I sort of was the only girl in a boy's world for yeah. a lot of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Always so doing was, tough jobs. Yeah, well, that's fire <laughs> brigade into the SAS. Yeah. But they, so I would have been like 29. Um, so I, I I hadn't spoken about it at all through London's Burning. I just didn't do any press. I just didn't really do And were anything. you in relationships then? Yeah. And London's Burning was massive. Yeah, it really was, yeah. So did you have to be careful? I probably wasn't. I don't think anyone was really that interested in me. Right. I don't Did know. you ever worry about like the press being like if you were out for dinner or would you Um Do you know what? I can't really remember. I can't really remember. I uh I think maybe they knew maybe they did know, but I, all all I know is that on the Ultimate Force 
arriving there and being told you mustn't. He said to me, this the main guy, we arrive at the hotel, everybody's there, you're really nervous. Mm -hmm. Day one of filming is the next day. And he just says, um, now Heather, there's the two makeup artists there who are women, and in front of them, he said, now, Heather, we all know you're a lesbian. He said, but um, if if you, if you can just know that you're here as the male totty, so we won't be talking about that. And he left, right? And I turned to the makeup artist, who are my only female allies, you know, and, and at that time, you don't know how people are going to react. Yeah. And I just said, oh, um, I'm a lesbian. And by the way, my name's Heather. Uh, pleased to meet you, you know. <laughs> but luckily, obviously, they were amazing and it was fine. But yeah, sort of been told so explicitly that, that mustn't come out. Um, oh, and I, they, were, they nearly outed me on London's Burning. I got called into, it was LWT at the time, on a Saturday night. They call you in and you go to the 22nd floor. What, is this like a press thing? Yeah, that they're going to out you in the Sunday <gasps> papers. Um, wait, how were you like, I can't remember. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 no wait a minute. Yeah, I was no, always outed was, by the was, paper. Yeah, no, but they didn't, uh, for whatever reason, some, some other story broke and they didn't run it. What um, would that have been like the... What was it called? The three AM girls or the? No, no, the... I don't know. No, it was like a just a splat, like a, an article, oh, like an article. But back in the day, they'd make it salacious. So what they're doing is they offer you. Oh. They say you're able to comment and tell your story, but if you don't tell your story, we're just going to print it anyway. And then obviously, if you don't have any input into that, you can't sort of control. They can the make narrative. it sound yeah. salacious or. Um, but I didn't. They didn't out me in the end. I, goodness knows why. Um, so did you sit down with them and have a chat? No, I said no. I'm not going to comment. Do do your worst. Do whatever you want to do. No, I didn't. I think, and at that time, my grandparents were still alive. So beyond that, it didn't really matter. I won't care what sure, came out now. But sure. my Catholic grandparents um, were still alive, and it just it it, it just wouldn't have been good. Right. <laughs> So you're on Ultimate Force, so you're not allowed to come out. I, Okay. Um, <laughs> I know, dressed in all the army gear, running like, around on a motorbike. It's like, I think they've, I think they've seen it. <laughs> I think, I think this, you know is, this is the guest job we've ever had. Short so. hair in the SAS who's on the motorbike. Apparently she's straight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be more of a shock. <laughs> um, and so how long after that? Because then well, the thing that I first became aware of you, of, of course was lip service yeah because of um there's a bit little age gap between us and so lip service was sort of post the l word it became it was really big on my radar yeah it was that i yeah. was i think i was still in drama school or just left drama school and it was the sort of thing where i was like oh my god amazing yeah and then i remember being really disappointed to find out there was only one actual lesbian <laughs> um yeah. but was that then that's when i came out did you? Right, okay, because I didn't know whether you'd come out and then it was no, like... that's when I came out. So you got cast in it before. Yeah. They were like, wait a minute, we need a woman that looks like she could be gay yeah. and she's going to be a detective. I, have you yeah. watched the SAS there's, show? There's actually, it, there's something, I haven't seen it for years, so I might be saying this wrong, but there was a, a di, is it on the DVD extras or something? I don't know. There's a film where basically I'm talking about filming the show and I'm blatantly not out yet. <laughs> Oh, really? I, yeah. I think it might be on the DVD extras. But I, I kind of knew I would have to, and it was my responsibility to. I think that whole Ultimate Force thing must have just scared me a bit. Because um, did you think, like I did, that if I come out, and mm -hmm. if it's 
you know, people can assume, but if it's a yes, I am, Mm -hmm. that it would sort of mean work would dry up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, the reality is that I've pretty much only played gay since then. Yeah. Apart from when directors literally have no idea who you are, which was the um, Mary Wakefield. And I did did another thing called Prey with John Sims, Mm -hmm. uh, Sim playing his wife. But other than that, it's I pretty much have just played gay, which I love because I do give it an authenticity yeah. and a swagger and yeah. and all of the things. But um, but it is it is proof in point that that people perhaps can't see beyond it. Yeah. Um, but I'm cool with that as well. I'm actually really cool with that. Not not people not being able to see beyond it, but what I'm doing at the moment. And, yeah. And everything else. Um, you know, when you do get the odd like Twitter comment, oh, she only plays lesbians, and it's like, well, yeah, because I have to work, and that's the jobs that I'm given now. Um, no and also, I didn't s- for the first fifteen years. You but know no one I mean? would. But also, no one would ever be like, oh, that straight girl only plays straight roles. When no, exactly. Going to play gay. Exactly. 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 Um, there was a, my favorite Twitter comment was this dude the other week, and. Um, so I'm obviously playing opposite a woman in EastEnders at the moment, Balvinder, um, who plays Suki. Um, and he said, um, oh, I hate her. All she ever does is promote lesbianism, right? <laughs> and um, In fairness, you do do that. But you know what I, what I wanted to say was, if you think I promote lesbianism, that means you've really, really enjoyed that because it's obviously like looks that good that the girls are all going, that's what I want that's to do. That's what I want to do. <laughs> that's what I want to get. I want a wife. Not a husband. Yeah, I thought I wanted to be an accountant, but actually no. I want to be a lesbian now that I've watched this. Yeah, it's like you've just literally sort of blown yourself up by saying you promote lesbianism, meaning you do it really well. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're promoting it. I get it. And is it... I read an article where you were saying that you spoke to the BBC bosses or the EastEnders bosses and you said, I'm up for doing this as long as you don't you kill, don't kill Eve. Yeah, it's sort of got it sort of got blown out of proportion in the right. sense of it's it's certainly not contractually binding. <laughs> um, you made a suggestion. Did, I made a suggestion. I just I I what I did was bring up the tropes. Yeah, which sure. Which is so, uh, they're either psychos or they die. Yes. Um, and I just pointed this out um, to the producers who weren't aware of the tropes. They yeah, weren't. Sure. Why would they be? Because no, we, we look into it, you know. And so they're like, "Is that really a thing?" I'm like. Yeah, there's literal actual articles written yeah. on it if you want to just have a look. Um, it's absolutely fine if there's no more stories for the character, yep. if you don't want me here anymore. But if I leave I'm, in a car, I'm just fine. asking, yeah, I'm just asking if it's possible not to not to kill her. Um, and and you know, verbally, they've said, Oh, absolutely, if this is a th- if this really is a thing, then you know, it's absolutely on their radar. So it really is, and it feels like so it's so infrequent that we get. Um, a story that isn't bleak and yeah. that isn't, you know, I like it. We've it spoken is. about this on the, on the podcast before, but like you know, you just end up sort of going, God, what what is it this time? Is it going to be the AIDS crisis, or is it going to be gay bashing, or yeah. is it going to be she loses her mind, or is it going to be that she kills herself, or when yeah. is it going to be? I mean, it can be a breakup. It could be sad. Yeah, because I was going to say the thing, the thing about soap, unlike film, we can't always have a happy ending. Cause no, if they just have a happy ending, then that's just then 
well, unless they go off together into the yeah, sunset because yeah, yeah. both of us want to leave and you yeah, know, and it yeah. just suits it, that would be perfect, yes. um, which is actually what I did in Waterloo Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fought for that as well, the ending of that with the girl um, in that. I said, the, can they not just go off into the sunset together? And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, just trying to bring in those changes. I mean, the the, the relationship that we're building up at the moment in EastEnders, it's just the, the longevity of it, of women of a certain age who support each other. It's a great partnership. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying it at the moment. That's great. So back to back to lip service and coming out. Once you had taken that role and you'd shot some of it, did you sort of go, oh, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do this in sort of a public way? I'm going to have to sort of, what happened? Did you do like a diva cover or a diva interview? That wasn't until it had gone out. That's all a bit fuzzy as well. Uh, I can't remember. They must have just asked. And you in just articles, said yes. yeah, just yeah. I guess said, it would have been in the normal press rounds, yeah. probably. I mean, I don't, I don't know what your experience of being on lip service was like, but was it was it a very sort of straight production? Was there elements where you were like? That doesn't seem real, or that doesn't. Or was it? Was it written by a gay woman? Yeah, it was. Yeah, right. By okay, Harriet yeah, that, Brown. Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that makes all the difference. Because sometimes you do watch things and go, it does just seem like they're housemates. Yeah. Just, just, do, do you know what I mean? There's just like an and and. I think I think we 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 spent a lot of time on the intimate stuff to get it right. Like the whole premise of of it was the kind of opposite of. The pornographic yes. images of of lesbianism, and I they they always said it would be beautifully lit. It, yeah, it would, yeah, you know, it would be love stories. It would be, and I think I think they stayed true to that. And unlike when we do the intimate scenes on EastEnders, because we don't have the time, and it's not yeah. it's not everything. Yes, you, that's, yes, yes, that yes, it yes. isn't everything. It was also, a big part of lip service. Yeah, the intimacy was a big part of it. With soap, regardless of gender or sexuality, um, there's only so intimate you can really. Yeah, no, be exactly. You like can't get seven, to, seven you can't thirty. Get to, you can't get. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it's going to get particularly no. steamy. No. Um, in up against no, no, uh, yeah, not lip the service. bar. <laughs> lip service was pretty full on. It did was your parents watch on. it? Do you ever worry oh, about that Oh, they did. <laughs> they, it's the only show they've not really said a lot about. Right, yeah. yeah. We, we just don't talk about it. They, You know, and I, I never pushed them for their opinion of no. the show. So, um, yeah, they, they, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, especially, mm. you know, if they're, if they're, I mean, I don't know what their sort of religious uh, journeys are now, but I suppose also if, you know, they've been part of the Catholic Church in a big way as well. Do you know what? It been a... anything to do with Catholicism. It's just, you know, my, you parents, know what... my parents only had sex twice, just once for me <laughs> and once for my brother. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. like, I, I just don't need to know. Of course. And they don't, and need, they to don't know. need to know. And that's the end of it. Um, and I think because of with... Because it absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely not that. And coming back to my mum, actually, only a few years ago after me and Ellie had our civil partnership and then we got married, she announced to me um, that she was no longer going to a Catholic church because they didn't accept her daughter and her daughter-in-law. Um, oh. So she now goes to Church of England. Do they? I don't know. They're, I don't yeah, follow. yeah, they, yeah. They yeah. do, don't they? Well, you could, we've had, we had uh, the Reverend Richard Coles on the show and he's right. a... He's an out priest. Right, okay. Well, there you go. Um, so that, that was a big deal for my mum. Yeah. Like, late in life to go, do you know what? No. Nope. Nope. That's really nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's really nice. It was a teary moment. I've got you off your roll now. No, not at all. There's the, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just little bits. Just little bits I think would be interesting to talk about. Um, what were you saying beforehand? Oh, you were saying about sex scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think as well because like, if you if you've got to do a straight sex scene, it's just sort of like you can just sort of, you know, everybody sort of goes, oh, okay, yeah, you just sort of can do that. But I think with gay women, because there's always that thing of going, well, what do they do? <laughs> yeah. You're going, oh no, wait a minute, how 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 deep are we getting into? I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. God. Where do you want to go with this? Yeah, it's quite. Um, yeah, you don't need to have those. Comments. I think there's you're right lot, to not it's a have. Lot. <laughs> those conversations with no, your mum but we did have to have those conversations but we did have, yeah, on set, we did yeah. have to have those conversations well of course yeah is... I've had those conversations with straight actresses where I've been like right okay so what we're going to do <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to sort of lay a bit like this I, I'm, I'm the expert here <laughs> and, uh, but, but it's important also I think for that authenticity because I think yeah. like I mean I imagine that you've still got a massive audience from lip service that yeah, sort I think of they, they were, uh, that's where a lot of people found uh, the music it yeah. was really weird because there was a massive break between the first and second series and then mm-hmm. obviously as we know they never recommissioned again um, and so between that filming that first series and it going out I'd put on loads of little shows like 50 seater gigs I'd got mm. on the road because I was broke yeah and, uh, and suddenly they just sold out like it just started it just like it just started selling out selling out so I was like what what is happening um there was one guy at the guitar bar in Nottingham he threw his mobile phone in the river because he didn't even have like a ticket booking service thing you just had to phone the venue and he admitted he threw, he threw his phone in the river oh my god that's hilarious he was the most chilled guys like what's happened my, what's happened to my life I don't want this anymore you know um, <laughs> so it all went it all went a bit mad um but ultimately, it's now the music fans that are left. There was a lot yes. of people who came to see the shows because I'd been naked on TV or whatever reason. But they'd found and that's dropped you... off. Yeah, yeah, they found it through that yeah. and perhaps weren't into the music. Whereas now I've got a nice solid. Because uh, you're fan about base to go back who... on the road. I've, I've, um, I've, I've, I've just. Um... Why am I stammering so much today? Have I had too much caffeine? Um, two been, two shows you're up in at February. Three o'clock. Yeah. That's what it is. You're up at three o'clock and you've got three kids <laughs> yeah, and you're in a soap. That, that's what it is, mate. That'll you, do it. You need sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've just put out two shows, fourth and fifth of February next year. Just London and Brighton. It's all I can do. Yeah. It's all I can do. Um, but I don't want that to dip away, you know. And I'm writing again. So. Yeah, especially yeah. when you've sort of always had that you were saying you know right at the top that like you, you know that's your two passions yeah you've got to like keep them both cooking you come and open for me Susie I'd love to <laughs> be a pleasure only if you'll let me come and open for you absolutely no worries <laughs> I'm not sure how much music fans want comedy but I'll try it do they sure. not I don't know Is it? does it not work I always think back to old old style cabaret you know yeah I mean we could do that I'll dress up as Liza Minnelli if you want. I don't want. I don't want to throw it. I don't. That would go no, you'd you'd make a really good Liza Minnelli. Well, I mean, only when my oh, hair's like this. You absolutely would. Yeah, that's well, bang on point. Way, maybe one day. Maybe one day. And so after you came out, I mean, it, you're sort of very vocal. In, Just in, generally, in the same way. Well, yeah, right. 
Um, she says into a microphone. Yeah. You're very vocal. So yeah. it's Chatty Cathy over here. Yeah, Chatty Cathy. Uh, that's that's what my friend. Oh. That's what my friend calls Jessie. My friend Bliss oh, calls really? Jessie Chatty Cathy. She doesn't what, stop talking. Yeah, but what was that from? Chatty Cathy, I think. And Tom Allen told me this. So if it's wrong, blame him. Chatty Cathy was a doll that you pulled a string out the back and she'd go. Chatty Cathy. And so I'm. I refer to myself as a Chatty Cathy. Well, I'm going to Google it as soon as we get out of the studio. I don't stop chatting. Chatty Cathy, I love it. That's my Jessie as well. Um, but once you were out, did it then feel like something that you were like, oh, well, I haven't spoken about this, so now I am now I want to be outspoken? Uh, it wasn't a case of being outspoken. It's just that quite a few people approach you. Right. About, you know, will you do... There was a video of It Gets Better campaign, yeah, yeah. so I did that. Um, I just opened myself up to whatever anybody wanted me to do or be vocal about it wasn't um a conscious decision on on my part it Mm -hmm. was just where i could help i I would help yeah that's that's all that happened with that really because they always say lgbt activists and i'm just like i just i was led yeah in a good way no but it's the same with me people that people have said um before to me that oh well you're, you're sort of an activist and you sort of go well it's all those other people that put us up to it that are the actors. Yeah, the people done that are, the hard work. Yeah, and, the and then I just and then sort of like fanny in. Chatty it. Exactly. <laughs> I fanny in, tell a few jokes, exactly. wear a suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What more do you want? Exactly. <laughs> like, slick yeah, my hair back. Swagger. Oh, uh, too all much. Of the swagger. Too much. Yeah, I noticed that. Your swagger's good, man. <laughs> um, the last question I always ask is sort of a. We get lots of people that listen to the show. We have loads of allies. We have loads of young people, people that are at the beginning of their coming out journey, people that have been out for years and people that just want to be better friends or parents or, you know, whoever. They just want to listen to the show and learn a little bit more about people like us. Um, I I always ask for sort of a sort of a message. It can be a message to like I'm thinking of the version of Heather that was being driven from Manchester to Bradford by your friend that had sort of all that fear mm. and all those butterflies. If you could reach out to her or indeed someone that is listening right now to this podcast that is at that beginning of their journey, if you could reach out to them and give them a few words of encouragement or a bit of advice, what would it, you say? It's always the same thing. Um, find someone that you tell first that's that you know will be okay, that probably already knew one of your, one of your best pals mm-hmm. that you have in place to come back and have the debrief after you've gone to the parents and the family and everything that's worrying you. Mm-hmm. I mean, brilliant if you've got more than one. But they, they, I, I, I can't. I, hopefully, people have one person that mm-hmm. they can do that with. Um, but that would definitely be definitely be my advice in terms of, yeah, of, of just just having the debrief and having a person to talk to once it's done, once the deed is done. Yeah, maybe a glass of wine. Yeah, yeah, you could have a glass of wine as well. <laughs> um, Heather, thank you so much for talking to me. This is brilliant. Yeah, no worries. It's been lovely. Thanks for asking me. Oh, I loved that conversation. I just think she's absolutely brilliant. I hope you enjoyed it too. Please, please get in touch. The email is hello at com, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm.